Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, one of my favorite topics is civil disobedience, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the vast majority of you who listen to the Bad Roman Project love this topic as well. Today, I invited Jordan Swain, the the host of the Peaceful Way podcast, to talk about this very topic as we continue the series of episodes with other podcasters. Jordan had me on his show very early on to discuss what our project was about, and that conversation was so much fun, and I'm excited to speak with Jordan again today. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right, left. We got our marching right, orders, man. Left, right, left, right. We'd rather left, serve God than right, serve Caesar, you feel me? Right. I'm yeah. just trying to live what he said. I'm just trying to live what he said. I ain't scared. I would take one to the head. Go ahead. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Like we were saying, I was telling you before we started recording, I'm always a little stopped up. It seems like when I, you know, I'm a night owl, so I stay up late because, you know, I work overnight. So I work till four o'clock in the morning. So I'm used to being up all night anyway. But it seems like when I first wake up, it takes my head a little while to adjust to kind of clear its, you know, it clear itself out. What, what time do you start? Start work. I, I usually go in about, um, I get there by 4.30 in the afternoon and leave by 3, oh, okay. 3.45 in the morning. So gotcha. I usually sleep until like 2.30 in the afternoon. So when I'm waking up, I'm getting a lot of messages from people <laughs> yeah. who are day walkers. I call them day walkers because <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I, to me, people do, that, that are up and about during the day are just not normal people. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand how they, how they function that way. It doesn't make any sense to me because I've been doing this for so long as a night owl. The idea of even being up that early during the day, just I'm like, I'm not interested. I'd rather be asleep at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Fair enough. I did, um, I did uh, overnight shifts for about three years uh, a few years ago. And um, yeah, you kind of get used to it. But uh, I did like 12 hour shifts and it was like, I think it was eight to eight or nine to nine or something like that. And I feel like that was a I, I, I think I could handle doing like four to three or something like that. Uh, I don't know. The, the eight to eight, it was tough. Even, even like two or three years into it, it was still tough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not for everybody. I mean, and, you know, it, thinking about hours like eight to eight to me would not bother me because if you get off work at eight o'clock in the morning, a lot of people are, are having to go to work and they don't have time to do things. You get off at eight o'clock in the morning, everybody's open. So if you need to go to the doctor, if you need to go yeah, to the grocery store, you know, you, whatever errands you got to run, you've got all this time to do. It. And then when you get done, guess what? You get to go home and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> while everybody's working. And then you get to get up and have a few hours, you know, whatever time you want to sleep till and then get up and make some dinner or breakfast and then and go to work. The, the guys I work with that are on day shift, I did day shift for a little bit there because they were training me on some new uh, machines, a new machine. And I was like, I don't know how y'all come in, in here at six o'clock in the morning, work till five. You have to literally take a day off to do something because right now we're so busy. We're working five, six, seven days a week. You know, we don't we get a weekend normally during the summer, but right now we're, we don't get a weekend for the most part. And so if they if they need to do anything, they have to take a day off. Yeah, 
Whereas a night shift guy, if you make yourself get up early enough, you can go, you've got a couple hours before work, you can go do what you need to, you know, go to the doctor or go to the grocery store, whatever you need to do, you can get it done before you go to work and then you go to work and you go back to bed. You know, it's, it's that type of thing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, there's always pros and cons, right? Like, but yeah, I agree. It's not for everyone. Um, but if you can make it happen, I mean, get on you. Well, it's also helpful that I'm single and don't have any kids. Now, you know, you got if somebody that's married and has children and trying to work a night shift, I I talk to guys about this some because I I, t- I hear them talking about their arguments with their wives and. <laughs> This, you know, because their their wives are sick of them being at work six nights a week and not home with them and the kids, and I get it. So I guess it's easier for me because I have cats and they don't they just let me live in their house right now is what they're doing. So. Rough. Yeah, I'm not I'm not much of a cat person. So you're right. Speaking of cats, I was you had me on your show on episode thirteen of the Peaceful Way, and I was listening to it last night a little bit to kind of yeah prepare for this a little bit. Because we talked a little bit then about what we're going to talk about today. And I told you before, and I said, it, it, at the time, I was living in an apartment. And so my podcast stuff was set up out in the open. I had, there was nowhere else for me to put it. And so my cats would join a conversation <laughs> all the time. And I warned you that. And, then, and Cubby, my little black and white tuxedo cat, she did join the conversation at one point. I can hear her talking to us <laughs> in, the, in, in the background of that, when you had me on your show. And that was a fun conversation folks if y'all have not heard that go to the peaceful way podcast to listen to episode 13 you'll hear me and jordan talk about civil disobedience like we're talking about to, we're going to talk about today but it was also a very interesting time to be talking doing podcasting because it was 2020 you know the covid stuff had just started and and i i guess just the end of 2020 we we're like right in the middle of it you know yeah it, yeah it was it was like it was just kind of heating up and yeah. all this all the, you know, all the stuff that's going on. And, you know, and it was just, it was a very, we started this project in March of 20, like we started publishing episodes in March of 2020. Oh, okay. And what an interesting time to start doing a podcast, right? When the COVID stuff is, is heating up and yeah, you had me on the show and I was listening to it last night and I, and I was listening to myself on your show and I was like, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> I remember, seems like I a lifetime ago. It does so seem like a lifetime. Ago. So much has happened since then. With me, like uh, I've had a kid, another kid since then, and I started my own business like a year ago. So, like, it feels like so long ago that we talked. But um, <laughs> no, but honestly, like uh, I've been, I've been a fan. Of, I don't even know how I found your podcast, but I started listening, and I, I really like the content, and I definitely like what drew me in was just. Uh, sort of the name and your tagline uh like being a bad roman means being or being a good christian means being a bad roman you know i was like that is such a great phrase uh especially in this day and age you know uh oh it was perfect timing it was perfect timing for a podcast called the bad roman to show up you know when christians are (laughs) you're seeing churches being locked down and churches you know bowing to the state and following the state edicts and all this stuff it was such a yeah it was there there could have been a better time for the bad roman podcast to come on 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 the scene and it that may have helped you know some of our our uh success and yeah i'm no nobody's more surprised than i am about the success we've had with the podcast it still surprises me when i look at the numbers and the people who message me and the stuff they're telling me 
But maybe that had something to do. I've never really thought about it, but maybe that had something to do with this because people were sitting at home. Yeah. They couldn't even go to church. And you got <laughs> Christians that are pissed off because they couldn't go to church. Well, here comes the bad Roman. And let's talk about this. You know, it was yeah. maybe that maybe that had something to do with it. I, I don't know, but it's it's not it's only grown. So it didn't, you know, like it didn't, the, the audience didn't wane. It's gotten bigger. So, and that's cool to me that people take the time to even listen to us. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the topic will always be prescient, especially in relation to like the state and the church and, and uh, how, how we sort of like view the state, even theologically is, uh, I think very much of the church has a very confused view of what the state looks like. And it's, it's, uh, it seems like it's involvement in our lives and it's, um, you know, politics seems to always take up more and more um, breathing room in, in all the conversations and topics that people have. So I think, especially for the church, uh, it can be very easy to get confused about um, what our relation to the state should be. So I think it's like, and, and and I don't know, it's like things are always changing and in flux and like uh, there are certain concepts or ideas that you feel one way about it, but then like the circumstances you're presented with make you feel a different way about it. And then so like there's always these temptations to to be co-opted by the state or try to co-opt the state and use it um, to sort of uh, put forward some kind of agenda or something like that. But, uh, yeah, and it's... And it's not just the church. I mean, it's even with, with anarchists that I'm seeing that same thing these days, you know, and it's, I think sometimes my frustration grows with this. And then sometimes I just take a step back and be like, all right, let them, let them eat themselves. Let them do what they got to do. <laughs> if they think that this is going to work, have a ball. And when they're done and when they're frustrated, when they're tired, and they're tired of even trying to work through the state or as anarchists or, you know, even secular anarchists or, you know, in Christians. We'll be over here at the Bad Roman. Come back and let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it, it is a fruitless endeavor to think that you're going to change anything in this world through government. <laughs> that is that is the we, we have we have so much history to look back on at this point that proves this is not working. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, if you're a Christian. Maybe we start taking the words of Jesus Christ a little more seriously. Absolutely. Let's give that guy a try because your favorite Donald Trump or Joe Biden is not your Christ and he is not your king. Yep. Maybe we give the real king a try <laughs> because he does actually have our best interest in mind. Let's give that a shot. It's, let's just see what happens. I have a pretty good feeling it's going to work out for us. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, let's just see what happens. You can go about your day, you know, trying to work through the state. And when you're tired and when you're frustrated and it, it, it just just done with it all, come on back and let's give Jesus a try. Let's do that. Absolutely. I think uh, I I have this conversation often with like a lot of people and I have a lot of friends, you know, who are very um, skeptical of the government and especially of the covid regime. Uh, who kind of have even like more maybe libertarian leanings as I do. And, but uh, there is a constant like back and forth debate about like, we like we should get inside the state or co-op the state or, or try and, you know, political activism, or we got to 
a lot of people at my church as well. It's, you know, it, 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 I, I get where they're coming from, but uh, I, I'm like with you, man. There, I believe that this is what Paul called, you know, the, the prince of the power of the air, the rulers of this age. Uh, that, it, that is, a lot of people sort of misinterpret those those uh, scriptures as I think being something like uh, spiritual or in some kind of spiritual realm. I think he, if you look at the translation, I believe it's in Colossians that verse is in. Um, If you look at the translation of it, it's, it's like it it literally um, translate to rulers and Kings. That's what it's talking about the the <laughs> the people uh, the rulers of this age and so like i don't know like it, there's there there's a sort of like maybe stockholm syndrome or something that we're going to somehow change like this deeply sinful system to be uh transmuted into the kingdom of god and it's not uh that I don't know. It's it's like I'm with you. It can't happen. It it's so incompatible. It's just oil and water. I think like the kingdom of God, we're we're building a parallel society, a parallel kingdom that is a on one hand it's a mirror, on another hand it's like uh, or it's a mirror to the state, on the other hand it's a um it's sort of like an a, a prophetic indictment of the state and uh, I think that when people think that um, co-opting the state or using the state, or if we just vote hard enough, uh, we'll get the kingdom of God. It, it can't happen. And I don't believe they, that there's a theological justification even that it's going to happen. And, and I, I, I'm not even saying necessarily like you, you can't vote one way or the other. I generally don't vote. I have voted in the past, but I generally don't. Um, I do feel like there is a, a bit of complicity when you do vote, you're sort of almost giving your permission to the state that this you're legitimizing the process, right? You're saying that, well, because I'm engaging in this process, I'm sort of giving permission um, for them to do all these evil things. And I, I would say, you know, maybe we need to just like pull our participation altogether. The thing that the state feeds on is not like, it, it is not, um, well, I would say the thing that it feeds on is the fact that we participate it at all. If we rage against it and criticize it, I mean, which I do a lot, but if it becomes like our all-consuming um, thing to get involved in or way to bring about like social change, then um, that actually helps. That sort of like feeds the beast, if you will. Like it legitimizes it. It says that these these processes are... Uh, just and legitimate and we should engage in it and i just i don't know i'm pretty skeptical of that i'm not saying i couldn't be convinced but uh, i'm pretty skeptical no one's given me like a strong convincing argument that like christian participation in, in the government or politics is even justifiable in any sense but well <laughs> you're almost where i'm at come on keep coming keep going because you you want to you, you're being very nice about it, and I'm very brash about it. I mean, you're saying the same thing I do, but I just take it a little step further, where I believe that voting is a sin. But this is where I'm at. Okay, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm all that way. But let let me hear what your uh, justification is. Well, okay. And and I it, during the Jay Newman episode, we talked about this a little bit. And I've been talking to people 
about this privately. Now, I try not to run. I don't I don't run out and say, hey, you're sinning if you go to the voting booth. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is just where Craig's at with it right now, because if we take the scripture of First Samuel 8 very seriously, when Samuel was distressed, when the Israelites were demanding a king, God told Samuel, they didn't reject you. They're rejecting me. Now, if rejection of God is not a sin, then I don't know what a sin is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And so, but that's where I'm at with it. And so I don't like go and beat people sure. over the head with it. Like you're sinning in the voting booth. You're doing it. I don't do that. I don't do that because it's not fair to them because I think people have to figure this out on their own, just like I did. Yeah. They will. If they keep, if they keep moving in the right direction, keep moving towards Jesus, they'll figure it out. And it's, it's better for them to figure it out on their own than to sit there and, and listen to Craig beat them over the head with it. Cause it's not, it doesn't work. It does not, I'm not going to change anybody's mind by beating them over the head with this, this topic because it doesn't, it doesn't change anybody's mind. That's right. It doesn't. Yeah. So they have to change. Their mind has to be changed on their own. Yeah, that's right. And maybe they never get that far. I don't know. But if you keep working towards the right direction, I believe, I fully believe that things will get better to an extent. You know, there, there's no evidence that working through the state has ever proved profitable for Christians or mankind in itself, period. I mean, sure. even if, even even unbelievers, it, it's never worked. It's never worked out for right. everybody's best interest. And going back to what you were saying a while ago about, you know, when Paul was talking about the kings and the, and the, and the, and the, the like ruler, the ruler, the principal, the principalities and the powers. Yeah. Yeah. The kings and the rulers. Right. So, but you go back to the temptations of Christ, you, you can see very clearly who was backing these kings and these rulers. That's right. Yeah. And Jesus did not tell Satan, no, you don't have the power over these kingdoms of this world. He, he actually yeah, owned yeah. it. He, he owned it. He said, he did, he said, yeah. And Jesus said, no, I'm good. All right. So if Jesus is our example. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> then I don't think Christians should be doing it either. So, I mean, it's very, I'm very black and white when I see something like that. I, I, I see very little gray, probably no gray at this point in my life. I mean, I'm, everything's black and white to me. <laughs> so if it's that clear, it's right there in scripture. Jesus said, no, I'm good. And not, and you know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, what Jesus said, but you know what I'm saying? This is a fantastic... We're, we're 20 minutes in, and I haven't even got a background from Jordan Swain yet. I want Sorry. <laughs> no, this is fa- I want to continue this because it's going to lead into our civil disobedience conversation. But, but for, before we go any further, tell the folks a little bit about yourself so they know who you are, and then we will continue this conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Jordan. Um, I'm just kind of... Uh... I don't know. I'm just a dude. I live in Canada. I I grew up here. I grew up on the coast in BC, but I've since moved to Calgary. Um, for anyone who doesn't know where Calgary is, it's about three or four hours north of Montana. Um, it's an oil and gas town. Uh, there's there's generally been a lot of wealth, except when the price of oil is down. Um, so, yeah, I, I work right now. I actually spent most of my sort of career in social services, um, but uh, actually, when when I knew the vaccine mandates were coming, I switched careers totally, and now I'm like a, a carpet and furnace cleaning technician. <laughs> so I, I just I, I went into like a I went and got a job with like a small company. Um, 
And I was pretty confident they weren't going to impose any sort of vaccine mandates, but I knew it was coming even before it was like official uh, here in Canada. Uh, so, and I just didn't want, I didn't want to, personally, I didn't want to like die on the hill. Like if they made me, I would have said no, uh, just on principle, because it's so, it's very inappropriate for your employer to uh, tell you what pharmaceutical products you must consume. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, in, any, in any case, that's what I'm doing now, just kind of like a blue collar job. Um, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. And then I also, I have, uh, I started a business. So I'm actually just doing the, the carpet and furnace stuff part time and I'm doing my own business. And then I also have oh, too many stuff. I have another little side project, a little, um, kind of production company that I'm doing. So I have a few podcasts. I have the one that you've mentioned, the Peaceful Way podcast. And that one's sort of just a uh, uh, passion project where I just sort of talk about how to make a peaceful and less violent world and what what kind of um, concepts or ideas or history we can look at to to bring in less violence in the world. And then um, I also... The other podcasts I help uh, make and produce, I have another one called Star Wars, and it's uh, it's actually a Star Wars fan podcast, and we focus exclusively on the Legends era prior to Disney's acquisition of Star Wars, and then um, and that one's uh, doing quite well. Uh, we 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 have a pretty decent little fan base with that one, and then I got another one I'm helping to just produce. It's called um, it's a Pokemon <laughs> podcast. And it's uh, called Pokey Lab Radio. So if anyone's interested, um, you can go check out. If you're into nerdy stuff like that, you're definitely welcome to go check out those pods. But yeah, the the one that'll be like most relevant to today is my uh, Peaceful Wave po- podcast. Um, but yeah, that, that's me. Um, I, I'm married. I have two kids. They're two and uh, almost three, actually, and almost one. So yeah. You're a busy guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I need to, I need to tell you something too before we go any further. I you don't I don't see you a lot on social media, but every once in a while I see you pop up on a thread somewhere and you'll just say something. I'm like, yeah, this guy gets it, and then you disappear <laughs> again. I, and I kind of love how you treat social media because I'm I'm trying to get that way myself. I'm I, I'll take a step back because it's just a, a dumpster fire. Yeah, it's, you know, social media is such a dumpster fire and. So I, I'll get on there to check on friends and family. And, I, and we keep, I, I keep Facebook for friends and family mainly now. And unfortunately, it's our biggest fan base. Yeah. It's easy to share the podcast throughout Facebook, you know, and stuff like that and Instagram and all that stuff. So I keep it for that. And, you know, if it wasn't for the project, if, it, if I didn't have any friends, if I didn't have any family, <laughs> y'all never see me again. Yeah, fair I'd enough. Just be, I'd be, I'd just hanging out <laughs> in my house with my cats because I'm sick of the world. I mean, I'm tired of everything going on. And Anyway, but I do like how you kind of treat social media because it's... To be fair, I, uh, I'm i actually way... For my Peaceful Way podcast, I'm way more active on Twitter. Um, I think I get most of my traffic from Twitter for that podcast. And... I follow like I, I'm into a lot of different things. Like I'm super into Bitcoin and um, I'm super into technology and stuff. So I, I like I like Twitter for that because I can just get like quick news updates about things that are happening in those worlds. Um, but uh, 
uh, yeah, I'm definitely like way more active on there. I'm not as active on Facebook. Um, I, I don't know. I don't love the, the medium as much. It's good for my business, actually. My businesses, it's decent, but just like like personal thoughts or things that I share, it's like, yeah. Uh, and, and also, like, you know, there's lots of like friends and families who, who can get um, turned off by my sort of quote-unquote radical stances that I might take on, <laughs> on things. Uh, so I don't want to alienate people too much. But at the same time, there is, like, during COVID, I was posting quite a bit about, like, lockdown skepticism and uh, mandate uh, vaccine mandate skepticism. Um, and I thought that was important, even if people really disagreed with me, I did feel like it was very important to speak up. And that was a platform that I could speak up, even if it was just a small amount of people, even if 10 people listen and heard what I said, I think it's like, to me, it was important enough to like, actually, just put it out there in the ether and like, really push it and and be like no like we shouldn't just go along with this there's a whole lot of data that does not back up the claims the really insane claims that were made by the government and many so-called experts so i did feel like it was important to speak up but you know a lot of the covid stuff is kind of um at least i i I don't think it's gone away, but its immediate effect on our lives has gone away. So, well, I want to ask you about that before we get into civil disobedience. You, you mentioned you you live in Canada, and I was I, I wanted to kind of update us on what is happening in Canada with with the COVID stuff because I'm not hearing stuff anymore about Canada. You know, there you know with the big trucker thing and all that stuff. Well, there was a lot of Canadian stuff on, on on in the news and social media and all this stuff, but <laughs> now there's nothing, and I'm and I'm wondering, yeah. Did it go away in Canada? Like you said, it's kind of not like it was, but give us a little update on what's happening in Canada as far as mandates and stuff right now. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I would say we're about, in terms of like where the, all the policies are, we're about 90% of the way to where we were prior to the pandemic. Uh, so probably in like little niches and certain um, jobs there, they might still be requiring it, but it's not like a government requirement, but the government has told a lot of businesses, you can require vaccines if you want, so choose, but we're just not putting it into law anymore. So like, and like, a, there's no, there's no, um, especially where I am in our province, Alberta, it was like one of the first to open up, um, more so than others and it is a more like kind of conservative right-leaning province and definitely the rest of canada but uh don't don't like misunderstand that like we're very com relative to probably like u.s politics it's very centrist so uh but it was, it was like this this province and our neighboring province saskatchewan were probably like the first to open up uh about a year ago um but uh yeah it's we're in some ways, we're actually even more open than the U.S. because the U.S. still requires, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you're still required to have a vaccine to enter the country, um, which is like insane to me. <laughs> and like it, it's uh, it's like the U.S., China and Iran that are doing it. It's like good company to keep guys with like these <laughs> draconian, insane like and it's not even just the draconian this it's just like useless it's like 
yeah, yeah, the virus is here, bud. Like, I don't know if you knew that, but like, <laughs> you're not going to stop the virus from coming in because you have a cross-border vaccine mandate for it. Anyways, I don't want to get too lost in that, but Canada has lit, like, there's zero uh, restrictions to entering Canada, except they did just recently add um, testing requirements for Chinese citizens because there's, I guess, a pretty substantially large outbreak in China. Um, again, because they did ridiculous lock- lockdowns for so long, and now they're having a surge of cases. And there was it would that was completely inevitable. There was no way they weren't going to have that uh, because you cannot lock down forever. It so happens. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, it, it uh, really things. I want to say like things. <laughs> do not underestimate like what happened with the Freedom Convoy that or the trucker protests, however you refer to it, as uh, last year. Um. It had a significant impact. Um, certainly by the time, well, I'll, I'll give a little background if people don't know. What happened is that uh, we were still like, it was the end of 21 and we were still in pretty substantial restrictions all across the board. And the government kept bringing more restrictions despite the fact we had a strain of the virus that was uh, significantly less lethal that was spreading around. And despite the fact that it was evading the vaccine even better than previous um, strains of this virus, right? So uh, it, it just against all common sense, the government sort of at the end or beginning of last year um, brought in a cross-border trucker vaccine mandate. So uh long-haul truckers had to be vaccinated in order to cross the border. Again, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, My dad is a trucker. I understand the industry a little bit. Uh, You barely come in contact with people. (laughs) And when you do, it's not even like very close or it's usually outside or something. So the, the rationale and justification was just like completely absurd. And there's there is no rhyme or reason to it. It was just the government up to that point, every time the, re- the government brought in a restriction, it did really well in their poll numbers. And, uh, and that, that's the Trudeau government. So what was happening is they would bring in all these restrictions and everyone would, you know, clap and say, oh, yes, we need this. We need these restrictions so bad. And it would do good on their for their poll numbers. So they kept they were they were just finding any restriction they could bring in to to boost their poll numbers. But um, Trudeau called an election like during the summer of 21. And what happened with that election is he he nothing changed really after the election. He had this roughly the same number of seats that he had before the election. And he thought he was going to get a majority government in the parliament. And he ended up just getting another minority government. And he was the one and he, he ran a campaign, just a very nasty and gross campaign of villainizing and demonizing people who are not vaccinated and saying that these people are, are like uh, unacceptable. They shouldn't be tolerated in society. Uh, he, you know, he would say things like, 
if you're if you're unvaccinated, you don't have a right to put my child in danger on an airplane. Like just absurd claims with no evidence that these claims were were uh, true at all. He would just make them. Anyways, he thought he was that was going to be a uh, a winning strategy for him. And ultimately, there were a lot of people that that resonated with, but it wasn't enough. It, people were still kind of choked that he called an election in the middle of this pandemic that he says was so dangerous it was putting his children's lives at risk. Uh, yet he had to call an election <laughs> to. Right? It just makes no sense. Well, I mean the whole the whole the whole situation. We're almost at the time of this recording. We're almost three years in, right? Yeah, yeah, and this the 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 longer this is gone, it's coming out more and more how completely absurd all of that was it's such a clown show man <laughs> yeah well exactly and the and the the folks who were so forceful about their their narrative with this stuff have gone silent yeah yeah they've gone silent in the it, we have this saying in the south you don't want to eat crow and it, yeah it's yeah because you don't want to admit when you were wrong I have way more respect for folks who will stand up and say, you know what? I got that wrong. Yeah, totally. totally. And I apologize. Yeah. Now we can move forward. That's all I really want is people to be like, yeah, we, we, we got that wrong. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into this today, but and, and, and I, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't mention this, but the, and I, I had some folks who came through Memphis and they stayed with me for the weekend or for, for the night as for work and stuff. Anyway, when we were talking about some of this stuff, she told me, she goes, we're seeing things start to happen with these folks that have been vaccinated. It's not across the board, but we're seeing things happen. People are dropping dead. Yeah. Unexpectedly. And the fact, like we just, we saw the guy on the football field the other night, right? Yeah. DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. Norm, normal hit. I mean, I've seen these hits a thousand times. I've been watching football since I was a baby. We've seen these hits. Yeah. And I'm not saying it was the vaccine that caused them to pass out, but I think people ought to start thinking about this a little bit. Because it, it how you can see this happening over and over and over and over now and be like, no, it wasn't the vaccine. There's something else. Come on. Yeah. Let's think about this for a second because there's something – there's something happening that was is not normal. <laughs> this is not a normal everyday. You know, they played off well. The environment can cause you to have a sudden heart attack, and <laughs> all this garbage that they put out there to try to, to to placate whatever the what is going on. And I'm like, come on! You want to grab people by their shirt collar and say, "Look," you know, you you just grab them by their face and say, "Look, look over here." Yeah. <laughs> Do you? this this is not normal and i'm not going to be that guy that says yes it's all vaccine stuff i see it and that's another reason i've i've, I've tried to step back from social media because since that happened on monday night i see all this stuff on my feed yeah and i'm like i'm not engaging that i'm not engaging that i'm not engaging that <laughs> i've seen a lot of people engaging it i'm like hang on it maybe maybe it was a freak thing maybe but that's not just one instance this is happening a lot lately and I think people really need to start paying attention to this at some point. And, you know, the vast majority of the listeners on this to this podcast understand that. 
you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know everybody that listens. There's a, there's thousands of people that listen to this, this podcast. So I, I don't, I don't know for sure how everybody feels about it, but we had to maybe start thinking about this a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I think absolutely the, um, the, certainly the efficacy of this vaccine was, uh, was, significantly underperformed and was a huge disappointment. And actually to, to be totally frank in like mid 2020 or October, roughly November, 2020, I was actually hopeful that the vaccine was going to be, um, you know, safe and effective as the TM, right. Uh, I was hopeful that it was going to be everything they said it was. And just as time has gone on, it, it clearly hasn't been. And certainly the safety of particularly the mRNA vaccines, has been way overstated. It is not nearly as safe. The safety signals from most of like the major studies have been a lot worse than uh, governments particularly are wanting to give credit for. But, you, you know, be that as it may, I, I'm with you. There is a hard, it is a hard thing to, um, you know, correlation is not causation. We can't always assume that every time someone uh, falls dead on a field, that it is a uh, result of the vaccine. You know, I know the um, sort of more COVIDians, if you will, they they sort of attribute that to the virus itself, that the virus is making people's hearts weaker. So, uh, and hey, maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. It You have to, you, there's, a, it's very hard to find those answers scientifically. Um uh, what I would say is there, there's definitely something happening. And actually, if you if people want to check out a guy named Ed Dowd, he just released a book, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Um, I've just listened to him on a couple podcasts, but he 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 has compiled all the data on like the excess deaths in 21 and 22, and it does not look good, especially for younger people. Um, and, uh, he said that prior to 21 and 22, that in a, in a year for like 30 years prior, there was about 29, um, people per athletes per year who would collapse on the field. That was the data they had. And he said like in, in 21 and 22, you'd be lucky to have a month with less than that. Um, so there's something serious. I don't Is it the vaccine? I don't know. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. And I think people are right to ask those questions and they're not crazy. This is just what the data is saying that like you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. I, I would uh, caution people to not jump to too many conclusions, but I agree. Like it is definitely something to question and it is a legitimate question to ask if the vaccines are related to these. I don't know if they are. It, like I said, it's difficult to find out. Be that as it may. <laughs> hey folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, 
and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. So we've gone 40 minutes and we hadn't got into civil discipline. I know. Sorry. <laughs> so let, let me quickly go through uh, the, uh, the whole freedom convoy and then we'll parlay into the civil disobedience because I think it'll uh, go good. Uh, so like I said, Justin Trudeau didn't get the election result he wanted. He started bringing in more restrictions. Um, and it was finally this cross-border trucker mandate um, to require truckers to be vaccinated in order to bring goods across the border. And then that in and of itself wasn't actually like the most, the worst uh, policy they had brought. Like there were definitely, it was a stupid one, but there's definitely much more draconian measures they had brought in. But that one was just sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And what happened was there was... Um, in Vancouver, Alberta, there was like, uh, or Vancouver and Alberta, I should say, there was sort of this online movement to do like a trucker convoy to protest these uh, in Ottawa, and they would go across Ottawa, and it just like it gained steam like crazy, and the pictures were pretty wild. If anyone's seen them, it was just miles and miles and miles of of trucks, and it ended up being more than just trucks. It was like people's vehicles, tractor trailers were joining the convoy, and it, it was probably the um, the largest protest, uh, civil protest in Canadian history. And mind you, like you got to remember, Canadians are kind of compliant. Uh, they're definitely a more compliant culture than than um, than America is. And to see like the sort of anti-lockdown, anti-mandate movement sort of get this much attention and spark this many protests around the world was pretty uh, amazing to see. And it was actually quite inspiring to me. Um, and it doesn't mean it was like a perfect thing or that people didn't make mistakes during the protests or there weren't bad actors even in the protests. It was so big, you couldn't avoid any of that. Um, but I have to say, uh, almost immediately, the opinion polling on, because we have to remember in, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in Canada, restrictions after about six months of the pandemic, restrictions were based almost entirely on opinion polling and whether or not um, the the majority of the people supported X restriction or not. Right. So, so when this uh, when this protest started gaining the steam, it did the opinion polling just completely flipped and and started going completely the opposite against all these politicians, and probably within six weeks the vast majority, I'd say 75% of all restrictions were either ended or they were announced that they were ending sometime soon. You know, so I, I think a lot of, you'll find like a lot of corporate media and especially progressives in this country trying to deny that the trucker protest had any impact on uh, the lifting of restrictions. And it was just, it, it was just uh, the science had changed or whatever. This is, I think that is uh, that is nonsense. It absolutely had a big, a large impact, and it just showed. Uh, you know, Nassim Taleb. He's an author. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he wrote a bunch of great books, but um, in in his book, The Black Swan, I believe it is, he talks about uh, this concept called the intransigent minority, and he says you don't need a majority of people to agree with something. You need like five percent of people who refuse to. Um, 
accept or go along with something that they're being told to do. He said that 5% is all you need. You need the, that intransigent minority and they can like literally change entire cultures and start revolutions and, and so on and so forth. So that's an important uh, sort of socio-political concept for people to remember. Even in Christianity, that's very much what it's like. You know, it's you just have a small intransigent minority of people who refuse to be moved on th- this X issue, whatever that issue might be, and you can really change things. So anyways, it was uh, what happened for about three weeks um, in Ottawa, the capital city of this country. Um, uh, People parked their cars and trucks and uh, clogged up a bunch of the streets of downtown Ottawa and protested for about three weeks until they were forcibly moved. Uh, But they engaged in one of the largest displays of nonviolent civil disobedience this country has ever seen. Uh, and I, I, it is my belief that it certainly did have an effect on changing the uh, direction that governments were going in regards to pandemic policy. So uh, it, it was heroic. Uh, a lot of people got treated and are still being treated very poorly from it. A lot of the, the organizers and whatnot um, have been jailed and they've been targeted um and unfortunately they've had to be the sacrificial lamb but we've all benefited from their sacrifice if you will uh <laughs> oh, yeah I, I hate that side of it but it, it's interesting what you're you're talking about because it seemed like that just stuff just went away yep <laughs> and nobody talked about it anymore but but you say that and i think you're right it did and i don't live there but it did have a significant <laughs> impact on what's going on and the fact that they were doing it, I mean, people will say, well, that was actually violence. It's, it wasn't violence. I mean, you want to talk about violence, <laughs> let's talk about the Revolutionary War. That's violence. Sure. You know, so they weren't out there trying to kill people. They were just trying to say, hey, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be heard. And they weren't out there trying to, you know, they weren't out there threatening people's lives. And I, I love that that you said that, that it did have an impact because from from my perspective, from what I was seeing, you know, here in the state of Tennessee, yeah, it just went away and nobody was talking about it anymore. And I didn't know that they were forcibly removed. I didn't know. I, I didn't, I just, to me, it just went away. They just like, they just gave it, it like, I thought it just was over and the, but it got to the point where they were removed, but it did have an impact. And I love that too. And you mentioned uh, the nonviolent yeah. protest thing. I want, I, I was listening to you, on your latest episode on the peaceful way yeah, about civil disobedience. And you were talking about peaceful response versus a, a violent response and how more often than not, the peaceful response is more productive than the violent response. And there's actually statistics to back this up. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So actually I pulled this a lot from um, this, um, uh, I don't know what, I can't remember exactly what her area of study is. She's some, her name's Erica Chenoweth. Uh, she's quite a progressive, uh, to be, to be clear, but I think she has a lot of really good work. Um, and, uh, she wrote a book called Why Civil Resistance Works. And she just went over like the last hundred years of, um, civil disobedience movements, civil resistance movements. And um, basically show like the data is pretty clear that the the ones that were nonviolent, the ones that chose to 
not shoot guns and not fight back with violence were the ones statistically had more success. Whereas often in violent revolutions and violent overthrows of government, uh, what you end up having is often someone who's even worse (laughs) than the, the, than what they just opposed. And I think like, um, uh, some clear examples is like the Russian revolution, you know, the, uh, the the czars of russia were they were awful like if you go back in history and read the the kind of stuff they did they were really really terrible the leninist stalinist regimes just made the czars look like child's play it was so evil and terrible what the russian revolution brought in uh and there's a lot of revolutions uh like that throughout history that have shown that you know, like when we do this, America funded and armed the the uprisings in Syria and Libya, and they are far worse off than what was there before. You know, and it it's it it, it is people need to be very careful. And I think I, I know, like a lot of like I'm a I, I describe myself not as an anarchist, but as a voluntarist, and I know that they're like the same technically on a technical level it's true they're the same um but um as a like christian voluntarist uh i i urge people especially a lot of anarchists who do it it might be you might be able to make a case that it is justified to get violent but don't assume that you're going to get the outcomes you want you know, and sometimes it's better to be a winner than a martyr, <laughs> uh, and, and like to just yeah, if when you engage in violence, there's this, there is a sort of um, unwinding, or uh, uh, I don't know what the word for it. it. It just the violence spreads, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and it has to get so bad before it can get better. So I would just caution people who are like pro violent revolution. Well, I see this all the time so much lately, too. Well, not just lately. I see it so much online talking about wanting to take up arms. And I don't know if these people are waking up to their awful situation all of a sudden. And their first thought is we got to go take back the government, you know, and take up arms and all this stuff. Hang on a second. The United States is a great example of what can go wrong with a revolution. Now, I mean, because... If we're going to be honest with ourselves, as and I know you're in Canada, but Americans listen to this. The folks back then were better off with the King of England than they are now with Joe Biden as president. What has happened yeah. along the way since that revolution has gotten far worse. It's not gotten any better. Yeah, And to think that you're going to go and take over the government with some with your guns and we're going to go kill people and take back our government, you know, when... Here's the problem. Here's the problem. There's somebody still standing there at the end with a sword in their hand. Yeah. yeah. Ruling over you. That's the problem. I don't care if they're if they had good intentions. The problem is they don't have the right to rule over me at all. That's right. At all. Period. And there's always somebody there with a weapon in their hand <laughs> trying to rule over you at the end of the day. At, at the end of the day, there's somebody there with a weapon in their hand going to rule over you. And it doesn't, it's, we got to go the other direction. I would say that even if you're like, even if you have some sympathy to the cause of some 
revolution. Like I legitimate, like there's a lot of revolutions that I look back and even current ones that have happened that are violent where I legitimately have some sympathy to the revolutionaries uh, because they're living under really oppressive uh, conditions. And I have some sympathy for that. But what always happens is they, if, if they are successful, which they're not usually, but if they are successful, they end up taking power and then they're like, okay, we're going to make things better than it was, but you just have to give us some time. It's going to take a couple years so we can set up our new institutions or whatever. Right. And, uh, and then it ten- ends up being decades and they're just another dictator. Right. And that it always happens. It always happens that way. It's very, I would say like perhaps the uh, American revolution is one of the, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the, I'm not talking about now, but in the immediate aftermath of the American revolution, uh, it seemed that things probably got somewhat better, but that is like, that is rare. That doesn't usually happen. And don't assume that it will happen in future revolutions. Um, but yeah, I like, I, I don't want, I'm not like a universal pacifist. I'm an anti-war pacifist and there is a difference. I'm not like a universal pacifist. For me, the line is if someone tried to like harm my family, I would probably get violent. Uh, I would probably use violence to resist that person. But with that being said, (laughs) violence is way too um, ubiquitous in our society. And our entire system is, is propped up through a threat of violence, right? It's through, if you don't do what we tell you to do, the men with guns are coming and they're going to make you do it, right? And th- that that's just it at the end of the day, period, end of story. And when you have baked into the system an implicit threat of violence, it, it just makes, it makes you the whole psychological paradigm that violence is okay. That violence, when we really need something that we really believe our cause is just uh, to, uh, to bring in um, whatever X utopia or X results we want, then we should use violence. And I think in the real world, it doesn't necessarily work like that. And we've seen over the last couple hundred years that it is the peaceful revolutions, the nonviolent revolutions, you know, and I, we can think even like Gandhi and um, the salt marches and, and Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. Even look at Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X, right? Like the followers of Malcolm X ultimately were not that successful because they were a lot more violent and the followers of Martin Luther King were a lot more peaceful. And there's lots of criticisms to Martin Luther King that I have as well, but at the end of the day, you can't argue with the results. And I think, I think it is true that violence is a, it's, it's a very dangerous thing to start touching because once you start touching violence and using violence, it is very difficult to put that genie back in the bottle. Well, I was sitting here listening to you talk and I, I, I got a couple of things going through my head listening to you. I'm glad you mentioned Martin Luther King and Gandhi because a lot of folks, well, not a lot, but when you bring up what they did, there's like, well, Gandhi was a child molester. I don't know if he was or not. I've, I've heard something about that. He probably, well, he probably was. He probably was. And he was probably, he was also a racist too. <laughs> okay. Well, then Martin Luther King, he cheated on his wife. Okay. Yeah. He was a infidelity. Yeah. So you're telling me that these people were not perfect human beings. All the point is, let's get back to the point. They were they were not violently resisting the government. That's right. Martin Luther King was was adamant 
about not using force against the police officers who were using force against them. He was adamant about it. That's right. Yeah. And it worked. It worked. Yeah. Regardless of whatever he did behind the scenes. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. The, the whole, the, but the point is, is this is what happened. And it's proof positive that you can resist the government civilly without force. And you're going to make a change. Absolutely. And it reminds me of this, this, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tupac. I'm a big fan of Tupac. Yeah, yeah, somewhat familiar. He said uh, he said something one time in an interview, and I love this so much. I love this so much. I had my uh, social media guy make a meme about it. He said he said the the police are gangsters, the National Guard is a gang, the government is a gang. He goes, we learned how to be gangsters. <laughs> because they're gangsters. Yeah, you learn from the best. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, then you think about like uh, the mafia. You know, when the when JFK and, they, and his brother was trying to eliminate the mafia. Yeah, they were just eliminating competition. That's, That's all they were doing. Yeah, because the United States government is the mafia. <laughs> you know, and and so anyway, but I let's get back to Martin Luther King and uh, and Gandhi. What they did, and even Rosa Parks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I love talking about Rosa Parks. I love talking. No, I'm good. <laughs> no, it's just, no, I'm not moving. I'm already setting where you told me I had to be setting. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're trying to move me? No. That's right, yeah. Well, we'll have to call the police. Well, you may, but I'm not moving. And she, it's when you go back to like uh, Romans 13, you know, submit to governing authorities and all this stuff, you know. Well, she didn't obey these ridiculous laws. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but she did submit nonviolently, and guess what? She won the hearts and minds of millions of people. That's right. And it changed people's mind about what's going on. No, I don't think I'm going to move today. Yeah. You know, and I was listening to your, I mentioned your, your episode, your latest episode, and you were talking about Gandhi and the, I, I don't know this story about him being moved in the back of a train or something. I don't, I don't know this whole story, but I mentioned, I heard you mention it in the show and it kind of reminded me of the Rosa Parks thing a little bit. It was very similar to Rosa Parks. Cause that's sort of like where he kind of became an activist. Cause he grew, he was a lawyer in South Africa. Um, and South Africa, like a lot of people don't realize, um, actually a lot of the Southern African countries, there's a lot of Indians there. Um, and, uh, and I think that was just a holdover from sort of the British empire and, uh, cause India was part of the British empire. So they sort of, they brought in a lot of Indian immigrants, but Indians were not treated very well, um, in South Africa. And, uh, there, there was an instance where Gandhi, he, he was a lawyer and he, he had like a, um, he had like a first class ticket on a train and it, and he was told to to move to the back and he finally just because he had kind of got fed up with how he was being treated in south africa and then he finally he finally uh, uh they kicked him off the train and then it was like from there he started uh sort of more developing his whole philosophy around uh nonviolent civil disobedience which he called satyagraha uh which is like a sort of hindu word but um, it, it, and yeah, that, that's kind of like the beginnings of it. And it just takes one act of civil disobedience. Um, his initial act of civil disobedience by refusing to move to the back of the train was, it wasn't that public. Like it was just a personal experience he had. And he sort of said that it colored his view of the world and he wanted to like stop this. And there was also like when he was, when he was, um, 
uh, in trial in, or in court, he wasn't allowed to wear his turban and stuff like that, right? So, uh, and they legitimately treated um, Indians in South Africa pretty poorly. And, and, you know, I know a lot, of, there's a lot of detractors. You sort of mentioned Gandhi and like um, the pedophilia stuff, which I think there's probably something to that. Um, but it's to, to me, it's sort of tertiary. Like he was also, he, he wanted, when he was in South Africa, he was advocating for like this apartheid system where Indians would be equal to whites, but blacks would still be uh, segregated, right? Like that was his, he re, like, and he said, all, there's a whole bunch of quotes of him saying pretty nasty things about black South Africans. So like it, it, this guy, he was no, nowhere near what I would call perfect, but like the impact he left and his importance as like um, a nonviolent civil resistor and just the tactic, particularly using the tactic of nonviolent civil disobedience of how effective it can be. I mean, he, I mean, this guy really did, he's one of the founding fathers of modern India. Uh, he really did help lead the Indians to um, independence. And he was also, which is another funny thing about him is he was like uh, almost like an ultra nationalist, like an ultra Indian nationalist. And he's sort of, He's sort of like uh, loved by a lot of progressives these days. Uh, and I think rightly so, but they don't really realize this guy was like, would be considered pretty right wing compared to <laughs> uh, yeah. like. Uh, I need to put a disclaimer out there right now. This is not me and Jordan supporting pedophilia or racism either. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. so everybody knows, I'm not, we're not supporting <laughs> pedophilia or racism. I'm, no, of course. Like I'm just saying, these people are complicated, and you can't get too hung up on the uh, on the in the, the cult of personality that they had around them. Well, I mean, it just the bad things they did. Okay, that does not change the impact they had when it came to saying, "I don't think I will today." I don't yeah, think yeah. I'm going to be your slave today. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think ultimately, especially in like the information age, the social media age, like. What's one of the things that helped Martin Luther King so much in the civil rights movement? Because he, he had the support of white Americans, right? And uh, how did he get that support? Well, there were pictures uh, on like the news of black people sitting down with their legs crossed, completely peaceful, and getting hosed by government thugs, <laughs> you know, with like a high pressure hose that can injure you and kill you. And there was like video and uh, pictures circulating that had a powerful impact on people because people, I think a lot of times didn't really fully, until you see it viscerally, you don't fully understand um, what people are going through. Right. And so that helped to garner like a lot of support for his cause. And similarly with like the freedom convoy, when you see how many people are really fed up with the COVID regime, um, it, it has a you you even if you're a full throated COVID supporter, when you see or sorry COVID lockdown supporter, when you see just throngs and throngs of people in every major city, in every overpass, hundreds and thousands of people in, in, across this huge country just gathering in support of this movement, 
you realize, oh, maybe this isn't as popular or this is maybe, even if I sort of tacitly support it, it seems like there's a lot of people who it's a really big problem for them. So maybe we should just tone it down a little bit. We don't have to be so uh, draconian about our, our enthusiasm of lockdowns and whatnot, you know? Well, and I think, I, I don't remember if I mentioned this specifically when you had me on your show, but I, I, I've, I've, I said it over and over, over very early on. I said, at some point, people are going to get sick of this. Yeah, yeah. They're going to get sick of this, and they're going to be like, I'm not sitting at home anymore. i got to go earn a paycheck because i got a family to feed. Absolutely. I'm not doing this anymore. And then, it's, and then finally, and like when I saw the trucker thing going on, I was like, yes. <laughs> yep. Because, you know, everybody wants to pretend that America is the freest country in the world. <laughs> Horseshit. I call bullshit on that because I live here and I saw so many people cowering down and not even doing what these folks were doing in Canada. You know, Americans make fun of Canadians because they're so oppressed and they just let it happen. Well, hang on a second. They're doing something about it up there and you're sitting on your couch not doing anything. And when I finally, when I saw this happening and I, and I saw things about it where people were like, well, it's just kind of a, it's a sideshow or, or whatever. Yeah. I was like, but they're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Whether, whether it amounts to anything, but at least they're finally standing up saying, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm not going to be a slave today. And you're not going to tell me that I have to inject something into my body that I'm not comfortable doing. That's right. You don't have the right to tell me to do that. And they, they finally got sick of it, got sick of it, got sick of it. And I was like, I was cheering it on <laughs> from Tennessee. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't love it enough. I couldn't get enough of it. I was watching it every day. Every day I was watching. I was like, yes, yes. You know, these folks out there, I was seeing feeding one another, giving each other water. They were actually cleaning up the litter off the roads. And, you know, they were doing, they were productive. They, they weren't just sitting there in their trucks with their their arms crossed. They got so much donations. What they were doing, they were setting up like soup kitchens for homeless people, right? Like it, it was, it, it, this is what Jesus told us to do. That's right, yeah. And the, yeah, there's a lot of people who really like, and particularly like progressives in our day and age, that they really like to sort of hand wave it away. Especially in this country, there's a lot of hand waving uh, about the impact of the Freedom Convoy. And from my, I'm just speaking from my perspective, you know, I'm not saying you can't have a different perspective, but I think it was a, a pretty significant uh, moment, a uh, cultural moment in, in our history and in the history of the COVID regime uh, in terms of, to me, that is the demarcation line from when things started to get better. Uh, things got like worse and they hit their peak right before the freedom convoy. <coughs> Sorry. And then they, they started significantly improving in the days and weeks after the freedom convoy. So I think, do you ever find yourself getting frustrated though? When you sit back, you remember three years ago and we were all saying, hang on, something's wrong here. Yeah. Hang on a second. <laughs> Slow down. And now everybody, you see people starting to wake up to it and they're starting to ask questions three years later. And you're like, Damn, yeah, we were telling you this three years ago. I catch myself getting frustrated with people now 
But then I had to take a step back and like, all right, let them process this. Let them come. You know, maybe it took them three years to get to this point. Fine. You were there in the beginning, but now they're here. Let them process it. Don't go get frustrated with them. So I had to, I had to, I had to rein myself in sometimes because I want to get angry because it actually does make me angry because it led to my brother's death. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So that's where my, that's where my anger comes in. When I start thinking about it, if it wasn't for these lockdowns, my brother would probably still be alive right now. Okay. So that's where my anger comes in. Like I told you this in the beginning and now my brother's dead. And I had to keep that to myself sometimes because if I, if I go out there and, and want to strangle people, it's like, yeah. So I had to rein myself in, but it, that's where my anger comes. I said frustration. Actually, I get angry. I was telling these folks that when they were here staying with me, you know, last for new year's. And I, and I told him, I said, I just find myself getting angry with people with it now. You know, I was angry before, but I was, it was more like, hang on a second. You can't tell me what to do. You don't have that right. You know, and I know that maybe, I don't know. I don't want that to sound like a straw man argument or, or whatever you want to call it. Cause I, it's not what I mean by it. It's just, I, I find myself getting angry now where before I was just frustrated and, and pissed off because, and not, it's a different type of anger than it was in the beginning. If that may, I don't know if that makes sense to you or people listening, but in my head, it makes sense to me of why I'm angry about it because I'm like, I told you this, now my brother's dead. Now <laughs> I don't feel as much anger about it. I definitely, when it was all happening, especially after when we hit like our second round of lockdowns, I started getting really angry because I was like, we have all the data now. I can kind of be, I can kind of give people grace for those first three months of, of the pandemic. And, and like, we didn't really understand what was going on. We didn't understand the dynamics of this virus. And uh, I, I can understand like engaging in the precautionary principle and, you know, uh, being excessively cautious but I think we had enough data by summer of 2020 to really say, okay, there's nothing we can do. This virus is here to stay. It's not going to stop. Um, likely, even if we were get, to get a vaccine, the, the, the chances of it being safe and effective. Uh, I just laugh every time I say that word, safe and effective. <laughs> um, the chances of it being safe and effective aren't very high. So we're just going to have to learn to live with this and protect the most vulnerable among us and, you know, the elderly and let uh, the rest of us who are not vulnerable to this disease live with it and just go about our lives and it just, the data to me was so clear. And I think to a lot of people, even a lot of experts, it was clear, but the hysteria around it was so intense and so um, detached and unhinged that it was, it, it just, it made me so angry that like people were just falling for it, you know, and even like rational, smart people that I, I think can understand these things, but I don't know, are just they can't get off the six o'clock news or whatever. And well, it was such a weird, I mean, it was just so strange. It was like living in a movie. I know. Yeah. You know, we watch these weird movies, you know, like that would never happen. And then we would live through it. And I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? I remember being at the grocery store and you, you, you hear the, the announcements over stuff. And it was just, it was the same thing you would hear in a movie. It was just kind of, I was like, this is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. So strange. Why? Why are we not recognizing just how strange this is? Yeah, this is not normal. And and listen, I, I I've never been one that said that 
COVID was not real. I I, I, I know it killed people. Yeah, 100%. But it's interesting to me that the flu disappeared all of a sudden. Now the flu's back. Come on. Hang on a second. You know, and they said very early on that the, well, not very early on, but they did admit finally that the, the testing they were doing could not tell the difference between COVID and the flu. So some of these folks may have actually been dying from the flu, which happens every year. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And we're going back into this and, and getting away from civil disobedience because, <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's a good, it's, it's a conversation because that's where we saw, I actually saw some disobedience finally, finally. That's what I said. I was cheering on the trucker thing. I was cheering it on because I was like, Finally, somebody's standing up because we can't do it alone. And I told you this on your show. We forget sometimes that we have the ability to empower one another. Just one person do this. And then one person that's sick of it, they start doing it. Then, you know, you got more people doing it. And then there's more of us than there are of them. We outnumber the police. We outnumber the government. Well, yeah, but Craig, but Craig, like I said before, even if it's, an intransigent minority. You don't need a majority of people. You just need a small minority of people who are saying, no, I'm not sitting at the back of the bus anymore. End of story. <laughs> you can drag me off if you want, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, that too, well, that's a good point because it reminds me, just going back to the Revolutionary War, there were three. There was 3% support of that. 3%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 3%. That's right. Yeah. But I'm not saying that means we need to get them to take up guns and, and fight back. But I think the, 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 the disobedience thing is so missed among, especially Christians. I mean, come on. Jesus was the supreme disobedient human being on this earth. Yeah. So this is, this is, it. I actually wanted to talk to you too a little, like the church's reaction to the COVID uh, restrictions. Uh, but not just that, even even the Freedom Convoy, I was a bit disappointed. There were definitely like a lot of Christians who who were pretty good. Um, in my city, there's this pastor, his name's, um, I think it's Tim Stevens. I've been actually trying to get him to get on my show, but it's hard to get a hold of him. Uh, but he's he's a local pastor and he refused to shut down his church during COVID. And this was like, af- it was like a full year and a half after uh the initial restrictions had come in and he's just like, I'm not, and he had already complied up to that point for like over a year up to that point, he had been complying and he, and he just finally said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing like capacity limits. I'm not enforcing mask rules. Like I'm just done. I'm done doing it. And they arrested him. They ended up arresting him in front of his children. And, uh, and you know what they even did? He said he got a, a phone call ahead of time from the constable. The constable told him, well, you know, Mr. Stevens, uh, I'm just wondering if your wife can take your kids away for a couple hours because we're coming over. He's like, oh, like why? <laughs> He's like, well, because we're going to arrest you. He's like, no, if you're going to arrest me, come and do it in front of my kids. Like, don't be a coward. Like, if you actually are going to do this, let's do this. And they, they ended up doing it. And it was like it was like all over the news and stuff. But to me, this guy's heroic. And even though he like he probably complied for way too long, he decided what his line was in the sand, you know, like and I think that's I kind of touched on that in my episode about civil disobedience, too. Like, you don't have to be as radical as Craig and I, but you should think about at what point is the government going to what rules or policies or things are they going to do that you're just going to say no i'm not participating in that anymore like you should decide that because if you don't at least think about it and think deeply about that 
at some point in your lifetime, there's a good possibility that they are going to push you and push you and push you, and you will do things that you didn't think you are capable of or poss- or that you could possibly engage in. And don't think that like like we're you know we're Christians, we believe in like sin and fallen man, and like like we're fallen people, and the depths of depravity that we can go are pretty deep. And if we don't uh, are constantly you know checking our hearts and taking inventory of where we're at, powerful people can um, uh, push you to do things that you didn't, that you at one point in your life would say are completely wrong. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, it, I like, what was like kind of in your view, I know you kind of talked to like a lot of Christian leaders and stuff on your podcast. Like what was your thoughts on the Christian church's response to the covid stuff i I was completely disappointed in their response to i mean not so much the folks that i've had on the show but by and large the the church's response to it was very disappointing to me because we're supposed to be separate from that you know we're supposed to be the ones out there saying no this isn't right and the compliance by the vast majority of churches in this country, I, I'm just speaking, you know, in, in the United States, was very disappointing to me. And on it, and I'll be honest with you, and I and I and I've said this more than once on the show, and I've said it to people in private. I have not been back to church since the lockdowns because I was so disappointed in how they responded to it. And now, when I the way I've it, this gets me in trouble with a lot of Christians too, but the way I view church these days. And this is a guy you might, might want to talk to on your show. His name's Derek Creed. He's got a podcast, The Fourth Way, and we and I've had him. I had him on. We haven't released yet as, as of today, but he kind of asked me something similar, and I told him. I said, you know, I've, I've never really thought about it until right now when we were talking. I said, but I view the modern church right now the same way I view the state. I don't see a lot of difference, and that gets me in trouble with Christians. But it's like I said earlier, everything's so black and white to me. I don't see a lot of gray when, when I go to church and I and I'm, I can't sit in a pew without judging what's going on. And I don't want to be that guy. I would rather set it on a Zoom call with some folks. That'll be my church. Yeah. Some like my people understand what's going on. They understand what's going on. We're, we can talk about Jesus. We can talk about what's going on in this world without complying, you know. So, no, I, I haven't been back. I, not to say that I will never go back. I've actually went and visited a, I was curious about the Orthodox Church and oh, yeah. went and visited with a priest in, in Memphis because they claimed to be able to trace their history all the way back to the early church. And the early church, I've said over and over, is so fascinating to me. That's one of my biggest things about this project is relying on the, the writings of the early church, you know, and but the more I studied orthodoxy, and I've got a friend Paul Perry on, and and he's in the in the in that tradition, and I told him, I said, you know, I said I cannot get past their entanglement with Constantine mm. when they were putting the Bible together, and they were getting permit, you know, basically Constantine made the Bible or made Christianity legal. No, 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 no. And I said I can't get past it. And he goes, you you were right not to. He goes, he goes, I struggle with that as well. Hmm. I, I said all that to say this. I would love to be a part of a church community, making friends and, and working towards this. 
The problem is when I step in, I can't walk out my front door without seeing a Baptist church. <laughs> and I'll never step back. I'll never step foot in a Baptist church again. Nothing against my Baptist I, folks. I love y'all. Yeah, fair enough. But what I saw go down in Baptist churches, I I know what's still going down. I still talk to these folks outside, you know. So it's a it's a strange situation as a Christian. I'm not against going to church. I just don't want to go because I, I don't I don't trust it. I don't trust modern church. You know, and it's that's 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 not fair. It's not fair for, to me as as a Christian. I don't think to build. It's not because it's not because I don't want to go. Yeah, I would love to. I just don't trust it. Yeah, because I see it too much. Like I like I see the state, and that's not being fair to every church because I've talked to plenty of of pastors, and I know they're good people and they were doing the right thing during the COVID stuff. I get it. Here's the thing: they're not in Memphis. <laughs> they're not at my front door. I can't drive two or three hours to go to church on a Sunday, you know? So in, in the area I'm at right now, and maybe I'm not looking hard enough. I would love to, you know, uh, the Anabaptists are so interesting to me because they seem to have got it right when it comes to the state. Yeah. And there's one about an hour away from me. It's, you know, it's not something I can do in a 15 minute drive. It'd take me an hour to go see them an hour back. But I, you know, but then I talked to some Anabaptists and they're like, yeah, but some of the Anabaptist churches did kind of have fallen back into that mindset, you know, of statism and stuff. And, so I don't know, man. Yeah, I guess you got to pick and choose, but it, it, it's it's very frustrating to me. I know that's that's probably not the the, the most clear answer <laughs> that you're wanting, but it's just I haven't been back since the COVID lockdowns, and I'm not really interested. I to me having a conversation with Jordan on a podcast or having a conversation. We do Zoom meetings once a month with, out of our discussion group. To me, that's my church. That's my assembly, you know, when Jesus said we're two or three are gathered in my name, I will also be there. I don't need a big building with a steeple, you know, and I, I just saw a, a, a thread, you know, speaking of this, I saw a thread a couple of days ago and it's still going on. I finally commented on it last night, but it was these people, I don't need uh, church. I just need God. People are insufferable to me. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of get it. I kind of get what, what, what this person's saying. I mean, you know, church who is going to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah, but uh, sorry, don't you think that like um, what you have with like your bad Roman community, is that not church? I, I believe so. Yeah, like to me, it seems like it's church enough. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> right, and I and I think exactly, and I, and I that's how I view it, you know, and but when you explain that to your every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church goer, they're like, no, you're not doing Christianity right. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, man. These folks were in the early church were actually just running around to each other's houses. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, I think one of the like traps, like a lot of the people who are um, Christians who are not involved in an institutional church. I think the only, the only caution I'd ever give them, I don't, I don't actually think it's wrong. Like I do, I've talked to people like you have who think, no, you need to be involved in a church, but why, why do you need to be involved in the church? Well, you need, you know, you need like a fellowship to help you like grow spiritually or, or to keep you accountable and, and to, you know, make sure you're not walking off the deep end theologically and things of that nature. Um, Okay, so as long as you have, to me, you if you want to call it a spiritual community, you know, and not a church, that that is like much more egalitarian and doesn't necessarily have like a strict hierarchy. 
if you want to call it like call it whatever you want, just make sure you have some sort of Christian community around you that you're participating with. Uh, it, it, to me, that that like to me that is like sufficient, and that's kind of what I have with my church. It's more like the community and the people I'm connected with that um, is the reason I'm part of it. Not necessarily because of like. I, I agree with every theological position they take or um, agree with how they operate a service on a Sunday or yada, yada, or like the worship all the time. You know, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with those reasons. Well, I don't, I don't know how much, how much reading you've done of Tolstoy, but I really resonate with the, some of the stuff he was saying when it, when it came to like the hierarchy in, in churches and stuff. And he was really against it. And I, I, I that's where I'm at too. I don't, I don't need a guy behind a pulpit screaming at me. You know, and sometimes I used to, I was like, I love to be preached at. And now I'm like, but I don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. You're up there telling me that I, if I'm not giving my 10%, then this church isn't going to survive. I'm like, I don't know. Jesus told me to help the, the widows and the orphans, the people in need. You don't seem like you're in need. You seem like you're doing very well. Yeah. You no. Know? So and it, it's it's the legalism, man. It's the legalism that, that happens in churches, and I just I can't I can't anymore. It's kind of exhausting, I guess. It's very exhausting, and I, and I, and I, maybe I'm just so anarchist at this point that even the idea of legalism in a church is that I can't. I just can't anymore. Yeah, I I I hear you. I think I went through like a phase like that for a while. I, I sort of like even with my church, you know. I, I will say that like my uh, the the lead pastor, um, his name's Pastor Todd at my church. Uh, him and I actually get along quite well. And we both like really agreed with, um, <laughs> we both have similar takes on the whole COVID stuff. I think our church was maybe too compliant with COVID measures. I kind of get where he was coming from. He didn't want to get fined. He didn't want to get the church shut down. He didn't want to and the whole nine yards and i kind of have grace for that i think i think at this point if any more restrictions were to come they probably wouldn't comply with them but it's tough man it's tough to find like someone who you feel like connected with and you can actually feel like you can have like uh especially in that institutional setting and there's all sorts of like in church there's all sorts of cultural mores around like the pastor and the hierarchy uh and there's all sorts of expectations of how they're to be treated and how you are to like what your position is in respect to them and stuff. And there's all sorts of like, especially in church, there's all sorts of, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, uh, just ego, you know, and, uh, people can, I, one thing I've noticed is people get very offended in church. Um, and there's really like a two by five card of allowable opinion that you're allowed to have often in church context. And if you go outside of that, some, someone is going to have a real big problem and they're going to like cause all sorts of drama. Right. And I've always found that that's like the most, it's very difficult until you've like grown like a really deep connection with someone. It's very difficult to actually have, like you can't have those like quote unquote deep conversations with people because you're going to say something that violates their sensibilities or their values, you know? So it probably sounds like I, I'm very jaded. And and if, and if somebody called me jaded at this point, that would be a fair assessment. I would, I'm not going to deny that. And I, but I don't think I'm the only one either. I mean, 
No, no. There's a lot of folks, and I'm, I'm just saying in, in my in, in in my circles that people have just kind of been like, "Enough is enough." I can't go and pretend anymore in church. I can't go pretend anymore because this is just. I don't know. I mean, just I took a. I when the when the COVID stuff started, I wasn't cautious at all. I'm like, this just sounds like flu to me. I mean, I'm not. I take enough vitamins. I'm not worried about this stuff. So, <laughs> I what? But I, but I, at the same time, I was like, all right, be cautious. But when it came to the church, if folks want to come worship, don't lock your doors. That is wrong and completely antichrist. Yeah, you know uh, when. I don't know if you ever saw this, but there's a church downtown. I, I believe it was Episcopalian. Um, looked like a small church downtown in my city. And uh, right on, you know, that that church, you know, the church signs where they, they say the, the, the time of the service or whatever. I, I This was a few, maybe even a year ago now, a few months ago anyway. I saw that uh, on the sign it said, if you have proof of vaccination, you're welcome. And I just, I was so angry. I like, I, I, I was like, Jesus would be bringing his whip and flipping over tables here. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is like. You turned my father's house into a den of thieves. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's like, you cannot turn people away from. Like if the church is what you say it is, uh, you cannot turn people away based on the pharmaceutical product they've consumed. Like I said, it, too too much of church looks like the state to me, and I just <laughs> yeah, I just it. I wonder sometimes if they didn't get involved in these five hundred one three Cs and all this stuff, you know, this tax exemption stuff. If they would actually, yeah, that's apply. right. Yeah, it's a good question. Would, yeah, would, would there be as much compliance if there wasn't as much carrot and stick? I, I don't think I don't think so. But if you once you're in bed with the state, you're in bed with the states. So you're going to follow the rules, and the church is too in bed with the state these days. And really, is what what spurred our project. It was the entanglement of the Christian with the state, and it's uh, we see it so much in churches. And I, the longer this is gone, maybe the more jaded I've got. I'm not a. I don't feel like I'm an angry human being all the time, but the, this topic does make me a little angry because when I think about when you read when you read Jesus and you read the things he was saying, and then you see how this church is behaving, it just, I don't know, man, it did. People, they're confused why people leaving the church in droves these days. Why? You shouldn't be confused. You're causing this. You're causing these people to leave. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There needs to be like a amount of definitely uh, an amount of uh, personal responsibility when it comes to that. And I have heard like the statistics actually, uh, you're definitely not alone. A lot of the assistants, I don't have them on hand, but I've heard uh, the amount of people returning to church after COVID, even with all the restrictions gone, is like there's way, way less people in most churches, you know. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're jaded. They're jaded. They're like Craig. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, but I get it. I mean, I get it. And. We talk about it quite a bit on this show, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. But why don't you go ahead and plug all your stuff, whatever you want people to find, and tell us where to find your stuff, and, and then we'll get out of here and, and go about our day. Yeah, sure. Um, you can find my podcast uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, The Peaceful Way. Uh, just look that up in your 
podcatcher app. Uh, I'm also on YouTube. I, I might ha- I'm not sure if I'm totally up to date on my YouTube, but otherwise you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, if you look up Jordan Taylor on Twitter or the handle is way peaceful. That was the only one I could get that was available to me. So I had to take that one. Uh, but if you even just look up the peaceful way, you should be able to find me somewhere on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm most active. If you want to like engage with you can friend me on Facebook if you want to, but I don't really do much on Facebook. I'm most active on, especially with this kind of stuff. I talk mostly on Twitter about that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I'm not as active. I've got a guy that does handles our social media for the most part and he handles all of our Twitter stuff. I do have a Twitter account, but I just don't understand it. I don't understand Twitter. I just, so Facebook's easier for me. I was actually never into Twitter until the lockdown. (laughs) 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 Then I started getting into it. I'm like, Oh, this is a, because I just kept finding so much great, like, um, signal from the noise, you know, like there's a lot of, uh, professors and doctors and, and, um, not just it with the COVID stuff, but with like economic stuff, uh, monetary stuff. There was a, a lot of like really interesting people to follow that can give you really good, um, kind of information. So that's kind of what got, got me kind of hooked on it. So now I'm kind of, that's more where I, where I hang out mostly. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on and speaking with me. This is, this has been, a, we talked about a lot. But man, I really appreciate it. We'll do it again. We'll get you back on. And anytime you want me to come on and holler at your your, your uh, listeners, I'll be more than happy to. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.